Hey, I'm Stephen Povetter, the lead minister at Central Church of Christ in Little Rock, Arkansas. Our goal as a church is to follow Jesus together. So we gather on Sunday mornings for Bible study at 9 a.m. and worship at 10:15 a.m. And you'd always be welcome to join us. To learn more, go to arcentralchurch.org. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you soon. I know that in the mornings, sometimes I lay in bed a little bit longer with my eyes closed. And I think things like, I'm not really sure that my ankle is ready to get on the floor yet today. And I stretch in the bed for just a moment or 45 minutes before I get up. I wonder if Saul, long after everybody else knew him by the name Paul, I wonder if sometimes he would lay there in the darkness with his eyes closed for just a second longer, remembering the time that he had been blind and then had his sight restored to in a moment. I wonder if there were days where he opened his eyes and remembered what it was like that day in Damascus when he had finally regained his sight. Turn with me into Acts chapter 9. We're talking about the story of the conversion of Saul. Saul was a man from a place in Turkey, uh, a place that we uh, now know as Turkey and his day, it was called Cilicia. He was from a, a town called Tarsus. And he had uh, always been a believer in God. He was a Jew, uh, born in a Jewish family. He was not just a religious person. He was good at being a religious person. So much so that he was one of those youth group kids that everybody kind of recognized that knowing the Bible a little bit better than the others. And so he uh, kind of got promoted to being uh, uh, an intern at some point, I think. That was probably his track. And then at some point he um, became a student of a man named Gamaliel. He was a rabbi. He was in a, ra a rabbinical school, and he was on track to becoming a rabbi himself. And he was good at it. He was really good at it. He was good at the kinds of um, skills and games that come with being a person in the ministry, uh, the kinds of things that you have to do to reason in front of people and with groups. He was good at it. And he was good at fighting for what he thought was important. He wasn't, uh, he wasn't a person to just stand in the shadows. Maybe once upon a time, he just was an onlooker, but by the time we come to Acts chapter 9, the man that we call Saul of Tarsus was a person who was aggressively pushing against what he thought were the enemies of God wherever he could find them. In fact, he's out on the frontier fighting for truth. He's fighting for what he sees and it's a pure version of faithfulness to God. So much so that he takes letters, he, he gathers 
uh, letters from the ruling authorities to uh, there in Jerusalem to take to these people that are living in Syria, in the city of Damascus, and he is going to go there looking, just looking for anybody who might be an apostate, a rebel, a someone who has abandoned the faith of their fathers, abandoned the traditions of their religion, and is now pursuing what some people call as the way of Jesus. Saul had met these Jesus followers at different times. He actually witnessed one standing in the temple having the gall to say that Jesus was, uh, that, that the people who are there ruling the temple, who are running the religious services, that they had the gall to say that those people were rebels against the prophetic word of God. And Saul stood there while people who he thought were doing the right thing. Murdered Stephen in broad daylight. In a rage. A holy, what they thought was a holy, righteous fury. It says that Saul held their coats while they stoned Stephen. And he thought that was what had to happen. And so he himself joined the movement to snuff out this dangerous and radical rebel group. And he got letters from the religious rulers to, to go to these synagogues in, in Damascus and just, I don't know if hoping's the right word, but looking to see if he would find anybody who was a believer there. Now, here's the catch. So Saul is way out ahead of us here. If you've been following along in our study of Acts, Mary, can you bring me down just here? I feel really hot, and not just in the way that my wife thinks so. Um, today. Oh, man, I'm going to pay for that. Okay. In <laughs> How do you recover from it? What was I saying? I don't you remember. You don't remember either? Oh, man. All right, back from the beginning. I wonder how long he stood in bed, laid in bed, just a few seconds later. Um, oh, yeah, he's ahead of us. If you've been following our study of the book of Acts, okay, you know that the gospel has spread because of the persecution that broke out when Stephen was murdered, when he was uh, martyred there in the temple. They began to spread out, and we know that the, the gospel movement has now taken fire in a broader space for, through the rest of Judea and now even into Samaria, okay? The stuff that you guys read in class today has uh, talked about how that uh, Philip was part of a group that brought the word, the gospel word about Jesus up into the land of Samaria. But you know where we haven't heard the gospel has gone yet? Damascus. Saul's even ahead of the rest of the book of Acts here. We don't know. We don't even know yet. If we're just, if you're just reading along in the book of Acts, by the come, by the time you come to chapter one, and it says that Saul was going to go to Damascus, so if just in case he might find anybody who were believers in the way there, you go, ah, surely there aren't believers there yet. 
we know that they're still down a little further south in Samaria. And yet, Saul says, well, let's get out in front of this thing. Let's go further than we know they've spread. Let's contain this and make sure that they don't go any further than those places in Samaria that they already are. Saul is on the way to Damascus, and the story goes like this. It's a fairly familiar story for many of us. He is on the road to Damascus, and suddenly, uh, in the blink of an eye, everything changes for him. It says that a light from heaven flashed around him. He falls to the ground, and he hears a voice, and the voice says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me, or why are you chasing me? And then he answers, he responds with one of the most significant questions that we can ever ask. He says, who are you, Lord? Who are you? And then the voice says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up, enter the city. And you will be told what you are to do. And this is the story of Jesus grabbing Saul by the collar, getting his attention so that he will become this great missionary of the gospel, a person who will go into all of the Gentile world speaking the name of Jesus. And the story could have simply ended kind of around right here. I, I don't know if you read stuff like this and you think, well, well, that's strange. But like when I when I read this story and it says, but get up and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. It seems to me that a very reasonable ending of this story could have been that he could have just said, I'm now going to tell you what you're going to do, right? I always wonder why all the pauses in the story. Those places where the dots could have been connected quicker, the chain could have been connected a lot sooner, and yet Paul here isn't told by Jesus exactly what he's going to do for the rest of his life, okay? Even though Jesus has a plan for his life, Paul doesn't get to hear it all. All Paul is told is this very simple next step. And hey, let's just throw it out that sometimes that's all you get. You don't always get the whole map, right? When I put in directions to my phone and I say, take me to so-and-so's place, you know, take me to a, a, a restaurant or something like that. I'm the kind of person that as soon as it brings up the directions, okay, I want to make sure that I'm looking at the zoomed out view so that I know about where I'm going the whole way, right? And then, you know, fine, give me the turn by turn. Give me this next turn. Sometimes, though, in the way it is in life, we don't necessarily get that big picture map, right? You just start immediately with turn left, turn right, go straight. Here, Paul is only told, Go to the city, and you'll be told what's next after that. And I think it's important that the story develops that, not because of what happens with Saul here. 
But I think this story is not just about the conversion of Saul. I think it's about the continual discipling and conversion of a man named Ananias. When Saul goes to the city and, and, and is taken into the city, he's blinded by that, by, by the way. It says that after this, he's blind. He, he doesn't, he's not going to see anything, and he's not going to eat or drink for the next three days. But verse 10 says, Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. And like I said, I have questions already. How was it that there came to be in Damascus a disciple named Ananias? Who converted this guy? When did he make his way to Damascus? We're going to be surprised as we read to find out that there's already a fledgling group of disciples here in this space. Ready, reaching out to the rest of the city of Damascus and ready to nurture this young disciple named Saul. There was a, Damas a disciple in Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he answered, here I am, Lord. And doesn't he sound so ready there? I mean, it kind of reminds me of uh, the, the story of like young Samuel, right? And it has to be, uh, you know, uh, Samuel, Samuel, here I am, Lord. Or like Isaiah, you know, in, the, in, the, in Isaiah 6, when he has the vision of God and they say, who is it that we will send? And he says, here I am, send me. And here Ananias hears the voice of God in a vision. And he responds with that holy way, right? Here I am, Lord. I'm perfectly ready. What is it that you would have me to do this day in Damascus? Shall I pray more? And then the Lord said, The Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus, a Tarsus named Saul. At this moment, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who invoke your name. How quickly this has changed for Ananias, right? Here I am, Lord. And now he's like, uh, about that. About that. I don't know if. Ananias just isn't very familiar with the story of Joan, Jonah, you know. Sometimes God sends you to people and you're not really sure what's going to happen, right? You're not really sure what will happen when you go to people that you know as your enemies and make yourself vulnerable in that way. But 
The Lord says, the Lord Jesus tells Ananias, there is a guy named Saul. He's been stricken blind. He is praying. And I have already given him a vision where somebody named Ananias comes to him to restore his sight. And Ananias is like, how many other Ananiases are there? And it'd be somebody else named Ananias, right? <laughs> no, the other Ananias died three chapters ago, man. Come on. Is that too much of a... Okay, sorry, that was a nerdy joke. Good joke. This story is not just about what needs to happen to change Paul, to change Saul. This story is also about Ananias. And I don't know how in the world this young church in... Damascus was already much to the place where they were avoiding risks. But he would have rather stayed home and gone on with whatever a church looked like then than to make himself intentionally vulnerable to this person, Saul, who, his, who he knew to be an enemy. The Lord responds and says, Go, for he is an instrument whom I have chosen to bring my name before Gentiles and kings, before the people of Israel. I myself will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So here we're starting to hear some of God's plan for Saul that he hasn't heard himself yet. But I want you to notice not just what's said here. Did you notice some of what isn't said here? He doesn't say, Ananias, you'll be saved. He doesn't say, Ananias, there's nothing to worry about here. Not even an Ananias, do not fear, for I am with you. All he has to say is, go. And then he has some things to say about Saul. I have chosen him, and I'm, I'm going to use him to be in front of the Gentiles, and I'm going to show him what he has to suffer. He has a lot of things to say about Saul, but the only thing he says about Ananias is, go. That's really all there is about Ananias in this speech, isn't it? Go. Told you where he is. I told you who you're looking for. And I've already told him to be ready for you. Go. And so Ananias went and he entered the house. He laid his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul. The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on your way here, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and his sight was restored. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. And for several days, he was with the disciples in Damascus. And immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He 
is the Son of God. So this is Saul's story. This is Ananias' story. And I think what's important about this story is the way the gospel, not just is being proclaimed by Saul on the back end, but the way the gospel is being proclaimed in the middle by the what Ananias chooses to do in obedience. Notice in their story, because there's no security, there's no safety guaranteed, what Ananias has to do in this space for the sake of Saul is he has to make himself vulnerable so that he can represent and be Jesus to him. Ananias mimics the story of Jesus for Saul, for the sake of Saul. He leaves safety to become vulnerable for the sake of Saul being embraced in the way of God. It is a living of the story. It is a way of representing the Jesus whose story is the story of vulnerability in the cross for the sake of the world that God longs to embrace. And Ananias has to live that story out, that story of vulnerability and possible sacrifice for the sake of somebody else. He doesn't know what's going to happen when he lays his hands on Saul. But he's been given a story to live out, the story of Jesus, and he does it. This story echoes all the way through the rest of what we know as Saul's story. There's a time later on, I want to introduce a character that does not show up in this story whatsoever, okay? There's a person named Euodia, okay? Euodia. Everybody say Euodia. Yeah, it kind of sounds like yodeling a little bit, you know, something like that. Euodia was a lady that lived in the city of Philippi, and sometime later on in her life, she was in a conflict. There was somebody else in the church that had a, uh, that had a conflict with her. It's uh, somebody named Syntyche, okay? And Syntyche and Euodia, we don't know what was going on. We don't know why they had beef, but they did. And Paul writes a letter, what we now know as the letter to the Philippians to them, so that they can begin to get their act together. But before he does it, he shares a story with them. And he reminds them. Jesus, he says, you need to remember the story of Jesus. Live out this story yourself. Have the same mind in you that was in Christ Jesus. Who being, who, who being in appearance as God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very form of a servant. Being made in appearance like a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Paul uses that story in Philippians 2 to remind Euodia about the story of Jesus that now she is being lived, she is being called to live out in relationship with this other person, Syntyche. And Paul is saying, you need to remember 
that sometimes being a Jesus follower means we mimic the story of Jesus in vulnerability, in giving something up for somebody else so that we can be of service to them for, for the sake of the name of Jesus. And sometimes that involves some level of sacrifice. Sometimes it involves some level of service that we're not sure that we're ready to give. It involves humility and all of that, right? But not only can Paul say that, he says that's the story of Jesus. He even reminds the rest of the Philippians too that that's his own story. That somehow in the midst of from the, from the time of the Damascus road up until now, now Paul has become a person that even sees his own life through that lens. He says to the Philippian church, I am ready to die for the sake of the gospel. I don't know whether I'm going to live or I'm going to die, but I'm ready to do either one for the sake of the name of Jesus. I hope I live longer so that I'm willing, I'm able to serve you. But because of Jesus living in me, because of the story of Jesus in me, I'm willing to sacrifice whatever it costs. Not only that, Paul tells the church there about a person named Timothy, okay? A person named Timothy who was so willing to put the needs of other people first. He, he had some, uh, at some point had met Paul. He had become a person who was in this way of Jesus. He himself had taken on the story of Jesus and was now sacrificing for their sake. I mean, think about it this way, okay? Show this, this, this little chart, right? So we're talking about this chain of things, right? Jesus takes on the story of the cross, vulnerability and sacrifice for the sake of others. Ananias has to take on that same story of vulnerability and sacrifice in order to reach Paul or Saul. Saul takes on that story himself, a story of sacrifice and vulnerability for the sake of the gospel. And Timothy is brought into that. And then Timothy goes to the city of Philippi and is serving them with the same sacrifice and vulnerability for the sake of Jesus. And then Yodia comes to this table somewhere. And I'm tempted to call that a chain, but it's way too messy for that. Because we don't know who came before Ananias. And we know that when Ananias finished his words with Saul, it was the rest of the disciples in that church that also came alongside him to help Saul learn some of the things that he needed to learn, right? And we know that it wasn't just Timothy. Actually, the book of Philippians tells about another person, a man named Epaphroditus, who was there. And he gives his example just, he says, Epaphroditus almost died for the sake of the gospel and for your sake, you Philippians. So where I have a chain here is if it was just one name in each step here, it's really so many names. It's really a whole community of people giving sacrifice, giving vulnerability, giving witness for the sake of the gospel, giving a costly witness for the sake of the gospel. It's not, it's not just a chain. It's, it's like a wave, right? It's like a giant. It's the great wave of witnesses. who not only tell about the story of Jesus, but they live it. They live the story of the cross from one person to the next. And sometimes somebody comes along that hasn't heard that story, that needs to have their blindnesses healed, that needs to have the scales fall off their eyes. And it's the witness of the story of Jesus that wraps them up into the wave and they're carried along alongside all those other people that are living the story of Jesus. And the wave of the witnesses of the cross moves on 
from one community to the next, from one person to the next. And it's usually not even just a one-way thing, right? Saul needed to hear something from Ananias, but Ananias learned something in his story in interacting with Saul, right? Meech, where you at? There. Meech, great job of communion today. You get up, you say, Shannon's taught me a lot. My brother, you need to know you've taught Shannon a lot too. That's the truth, man. And you know what? I know too, it wasn't just Shannon, right? I know there are other people in this house here today that are a part of discipling young Dimitri, right? And Lord bless you for it. It's that wave of the community of God giving witness to the story of Jesus among us. Next chapter 9, this story ends. It ends in baptism. And baptism is a great place for us to land with this story because what really happens in the water is exactly this wave of witness, right? If the person who has seen the story of Jesus, maybe heard the story of Jesus from long ago, right? But also seen the story of Jesus in the community of God's people, seen the sacrifice and the vulnerability and the love that is offered. And they come to the place where they say, I want that story. I want that story to be my story too. I want the story of the love of God, which is the story of the cross and the story of the church. I want that story to be my story too. For the sake of God's love in the world. For the sake of what God is doing in bringing people into his embrace. I love this story of Saul's conversion. And I love to think about him laying in bed on those mornings. Remembering the day that he moved from blindness to sight. And Saul got out of bed. He went and found more people to tell that story to. He found more people to take their part in the great wave of witnesses that went from Jesus to Ananias into Saul into Timothy and Epaphroditus and Eodia and that kept rolling along in history until by the grace of God, it got to you and to me. And now we too, we too, the baptized people of God, take our place in the great wave of witnesses. God speaks to us. And just like he says to Ananias, he says, go. 
what happens next is very much up to our response, our response to the Holy Spirit of God working among us. May we be people who follow Jesus together, going where he has sent us. Let's pray together. O giver of all good things, you have given us the story of love, the story of the deep sacrifice which was present in Jesus at the cross and which is also a calling for us in our lives. We pray that you would teach us to be obedient, to participate in your mission and to give witness where we may so that many, many more people would give their lives to your son and join us in the story of his reaching out to the world and wrapping it in your embrace. Oh God, would you help us to be open-hearted to the people to whom you send us? Let us hold nothing against them except for a willingness to embrace them with your love and a willingness to share the name of Jesus with them. In his name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand and sing together.